on which a new nation would be built. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. Hey, it's Trevor here for the Boo Crew. On behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to episode 201. The film is called Wrong Turn. At time of release, available on demand, DVD, Blu-ray, and digital now. It is a complete refresh of the original franchise that began back in 2003. Now we gotta say, this film is spectacular. We think you're gonna love it. Do yourself a favor and go in as dark as possible because there was so much joy in the twists and turns and misdirects. You'll hear that come up a lot in this conversation with director Mike P. Nelson and star Charlotte Vega. The two are so passionate and charming and incredible. Hear about the concept of flipping a well-known entity completely on its ass, perhaps unlike anything you've seen before in a reboot done with the writer of the original as well. Learn about the intense work that went into bringing this massive idea to life. How they did one of our fave scenes in a horror film in years. We try to avoid spoiling it, so we tiptoe lightly around it, but still had to ask. And if you've seen the film, you know exactly why. Will there be a possibility of a sequel? Are there ties to the original? How is the gore approached? So much fun stuff with Charlotte Vega and Mike P. Nelson from the new Wrong Turn. Episode 201 starts now. This is Charlotte Vega. And this is Mike P. Nelson. You've made a wrong turn into another terrifying episode of The Boo Crew. What is that? Oh. Oh my God. Oh my God. I saw someone. I did. I saw, I saw someone. My country tis of thee. It's a story people know but don't talk about. Except in whispers, like a ghost story. We don't bother them, and they don't bother us. But anyone who goes up there, what is this place? They don't come back. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio are two truly exciting storytellers. She is an outstanding actor, making her debut in Paco Plaza's Rec 3, the TV series El Secreto de Puente Viejo, The Refugees, and the six-time award-winning Velvet. 2017 brought her roles in American Assassin, and Brian O'Malley's impeccable The Lodgers and an award for Best Actress. That same year, she appeared in The Bookshop alongside Bill Nye and Emily Mortimer, a film that picked up 14 awards and an insane amount of critical acclaim. Most recently, she starred in the tremendously fun Warrior Nun for Netflix. She is mesmerizing to watch, fades into roles effortlessly. The choices she makes give her moments on screen such a thrilling vibrance. Also with us is a 
four-time award-winning writer-director. His debut short, The G.I., took best film in 2004's Shriekfest. His first feature, Summer School, was a heartfelt love letter to horror fans that has earned its rightful place as a genre classic. In 2018, he wrote and directed The Domestic, starring Kate Bosworth, which is a must-see post-apocalyptic horror adventure. This filmmaker has established himself as a master of the genre whose vision is uniquely involved in every aspect, from cinematography to sound design and editing. Perhaps most importantly is that you can tell he is obsessed with the detail and in taking the viewer on a real journey. His films are soaked in his passion for these stories and reverence for horror. Together, their new project, I'm telling you, it is a true testament to all of that. It is an all-out thrill ride, a chaotic roller coaster of misdirects, action, shock, outstanding practical effects, evocative set design, and unreal performances, and moments that will stay in our heads forever. That film is Wrong Turn. It's about a group of friends who set out to hike the Appalachian Trail, and guess what they do? They go off the trail and all hell breaks loose. A time of release is available on demand, digital Blu-ray and DVD. Now we are honored to welcome director Mike P. Nelson and star Charlotte Vega. Yeah! How's it going? Guys, <laughs> my God, we had so much fun with this movie. Thank yes. you for making it, and congratulations yeah. on the celebration of all this. Hard work finally yep. being able to be shared with all of us. You can tell just how much work went into it. Oh, well, I mean, that, I mean, that means a lot. It's, it, it was. It was, like a, it was a kind of a crazy journey to get to, to even, you know, getting this thing made. But, uh, you know, it, it's been fun kind of hearing everybody's reactions yeah, honestly, fun hearing them both good and bad. Like, I mean, we've been we've been getting a little bit of both. Obviously, it's a very divisive movie, but it's been fun to kind of watch it grow and watch it reach uh, reach people and and uh, get those reactions. Charlotte, how about you? What are your thoughts on this journey coming to fruition? Well, uh, thank you, by the way, for the best introduction I've ever had by far. I don't know about you, Mike, but <laughs> that got me excited. Um, I, could just, I could just see you, Charlotte. You're just sitting there. You're just like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I'm just like, oh, she hates this. She hates She loves it. She hates it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's about right. <laughs> Very cool, though. Thank you. Um, yeah. I mean, similar to Mike, it's one of those films where we knew that one of the challenges was going to be that it has such a cult following the original film and and we wanted to kind of keep everyone happy and, and make sure that we weren't straying too far from it i guess and and hoping that they would enjoy it but also that it would be a fresh take uh, and something different so we know that it's going to be a bit of a love hate but I'm, I'm glad that there's a little bit of both and it's not all just bad <laughs> oh my god I, I don't i don't understand anyone who has any bad thing to say about this film it literally <laughs> fucking knocked us on our asses and all the thing all the tropes that yeah. you'd expect to see in when someone says a wrong turn remake or reboot you flip the script on it so completely and i mean from bill sage and seeing him with that quaffed beard being the last thing you'd ever expect to see in a movie with the name wrong turn on it like even those little aspects it just it's like a magic trick and I've, I've said it before about very few films that it's got that effect of oh my god i just saw a magic trick what the hell just happened now before we get into more about the film i just want to start off with your each uh, personal history with just horror as viewers the first impactful moment that you remember seeing a horror film Okay. Uh, yeah, yours is going to be much better, Mike, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, as a teenager, I, I felt always kind of forced into watching them because it was what my friends were doing and it was cool. But I was terrified and they would haunt me for weeks and weeks and weeks. And uh, when I was about 
14, 15, 16 is when the Saw films came out. And that definitely marked me. Like I, I couldn't sleep for weeks watching that and um, some of the hostile films. Um, but it definitely wasn't a genre I was into just because I was so terrified. There was a film called uh, When a Stranger Calls that terrified me because I did a lot of babysitting. Um, so <laughs> babysitting in houses in the middle of nowhere. And yeah, that was the worst decision for me ever that my brother made me watch. But bit by bit, especially working in the industry and actually doing a bit of horror, I've been able to discover like incredible films and feel like I've missed out so much, so many years and on beautiful films. What are so some recent like favorites that you've discovered? One of my favorites is definitely The Hunger because <laughs> it's just mad and, and I love it. Um, I love The Innocence. I loved Get Out, which I, I watched. I mean, when it, when it came out, I've watched it like three times already and I loved it. But I'm, it's definitely something that I'm discovering. That's so fun. Mike, get into yours, man. I mean, this, this goes way, way back. I mean, I remember my dad was... My dad's going to hate me for saying this because he he's always waiting for he's waiting for me to make like sound of music or something like that. And that's and, and I know that's like that's like I think that's every parent's joke whose kid went off to make horror films for a career. Like, what are you going to make like Mary Poppins or the sound of music? And, you know, I guess it's not out of the question, just not now. But, you know, growing up, I learned about movies and watched movies with my dad. I mean, growing up from I, I, mean, I, I remember doing it in our old house. I was no older than four years old uh, when I was there. So, I mean, I remember sitting on the couch with him and I remember watching, he would show me all the Indiana Jones, or at least the two that were out at the time, which was uh, Raiders and, and Temple of Doom. So those, of course, I'm a huge Indiana Jones uh, trilogy junkie. So like, I'm like, those films always have a special place. And I always look at those films whenever I go into making a film or whatever, just because I feel like they're just, they're just cinematic masterpieces. In terms of horror, though, like, honestly, like one of the most earliest uh, horror, you know, experiences I had was with an Indiana Jones film, and that was Temple of Doom. I probably saw it when I was a little too young, and I, I remember my dad, after we watched it when I was very young, I, I mean, I had been like four or five years old, which is, I don't know if that, it's, it's too young. Like, I showed my, my son's five, uh, five years old, and I showed him some of that movie, not all of it, but yeah. some of it, and he, he couldn't, he couldn't, like, he was just, he, Indiana Jones was in too much peril he couldn't take it. So I was like, yeah, this is, this is probably too much. Um, but that said, it left a last lasting impression on me from there on out. You know, it was, you know, my, my dad would, you know, rent old, you know, universal monster movies. You know, we watched, you know, creature from the black lagoon. I always had, I had the old VHS of uh, like, it was recorded off, you know, Sunday prime time of uh, uh, Frankenstein, uh, James Wells, Frankenstein, you know, had King Kong on, on, on cassette tape, like all these movies that were like, that my dad, would go and he would hit record and walk away, you know, with all the commercials, all the great eighties commercials. So I would sit there and just like, that's what, that's what I would have. Like, I wouldn't necessarily always put the Saturday morning cartoons on. I'd have my mom take one of the VHS tapes or I would, I'd put it in this giant ass player and I'd sit there and watch King Kong or Frankenstein or one, or one of the star Wars that we ripped off the TV or whatever. And that's kind of like, those were my movies, you know, because honestly, as, as time went on, like, I wasn't allowed to watch anything really R-rated up until like I was 17. And I, I, I strangely, for the most part, obeyed those rules in our house. 
Um, I was like the good kid who's like, oh, well, I, I better not do anything bad. But, you know, you went over to your friend's house and you, you caught a little glimpse of like Silence of the Lambs or you sure. watched like White Men Can't Jump or something like that. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, my God, there's so much swearing and so much violence. But yeah, I mean, and then, you know, as, as I got as I got older and stuff like that, then, you know, and I felt like I got to catch up now. And then I did binge and I just watched everything I possibly could. And um, yeah, then just kind of immersed myself in this world and, and also realized that um, walking through the video store when you're, you know, 10 years old and you sneak away to the horror section, those video cassettes that you looked at, you made such a like worse movie in your head <laughs> definitely well, no, i would say a worse movie right. but also sometimes better right it was a better movie that showed worse things <laughs> just like looking at the cover of that case and um so then when i got to watch some of those you know there was some disappointments and some you know like pleasantly surprised you know texas chainsaw massacre being being one of the the pleasantly surprised ones that i remember thinking was so absolutely going to be so brutally violent watching people getting cut up with chainsaws and that's all it was going to be and then you watch it and you're like this is strangely Hitchcocky. You know what I mean? Like you don't see a damn thing, and that just added to the feeling, you know. And it's, so, so anyway, I could literally go on about this in movie stores and horror VHS cases for hours, but like I'm just gonna leave it at that. You kind of get the gist. Yeah, I know. I love it. <laughs> Are there any recent horror that you've seen that's really impacted you? You know, I really, I, I really like like some of the stuff that that uh, Jeremy Saulnier is doing. Like I love, I love Blue Room, which I guess isn't really a horror, but kind of. And, and Green Room is definitely has has its horror stuff going. But I like that it's it's this very grounded, this very grounded type of horror. Yeah, I mean that that, that to me is 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 stylistically kind of like the stuff that that I, I I've been really enjoying recently is is that kind of stuff that maybe more indie uh, indie horror that like not super big budget, but just has some great characters. And it sucks when they start to get picked off and it's, it goes in directions that you just, you just wouldn't expect. Yeah. Mike, working with the original screenwriter, Alan McElroy, what inspired you guys to come up with a fresh take on this film? You know, I, you know, I have to give Alan so much of this credit because when I got the script back in 2017, it was like, it kind of like knocked me off my feet. Um, you know, I was looking for another project and, and, you know, I got this script and I was like, oh boy, another wrong turn. And, um, but you know, the thing that, that, that did really stand out to me was it was the original writer and I love the first movie. So, but, but with that said, like you read it and you're like, okay, so this is from the original writer. So you kind of feel like you're going to be getting like something similar, you know, maybe a slightly different take or different politics, but it's going to be the same, same kind of thing. And it wasn't. And that was what was uh, what was really exciting. And, and then, you know, seeing his passion for wanting to change up his world that he's created and the producers, you know, uh, you know, Robert Colzer and then our, our other producer, James Harris, who came on that like really championed the project. And they were just like, no, we're do- we're making something bold here, man. Like we're, we're doing this and we know it's going to be like kind of a shock to the system for some people, but this is the way we want to go. And I was like, as a filmmaker, you're just like, Man, I want to be a part of that because you just you don't get to work with people like that that want to take that kind of risk all the time. And that's where filmmaking can get so exciting. Charlotte, talk about your involvement and what scene did you audition with? Very fortunately, I, I didn't audition for this, if I remember correctly. It feels like it was a while ago now, but I, I don't think I did. 
I think I, I got sent the script by my agent and loved it and then had a Skype with Mike actually before Zoom times. It was more like Skype back then. And we just had this really, really lovely chat about the the script and, and his vision, which I just thought was incredible and saw so much passion in him. And we were talking about Jen and her evolution. And I feel like we got really, really into it and um, we connected. And I feel like maybe Mike spoke to other directors I'd worked with before. Was it that? Or had you spoken to Brian? I spoke to Brian about from the Lodgers. Yeah. 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 And, um, and yeah, and then everything just kind of rolled from there, which was so, so cool. But I guess it was kind of weird starting a film like that without having auditioned and especially doing a different accent and everything. So there's a lot of pressure first few days on set. I was very nervous about, you know, everyone feeling like they'd done the, made the right decision hiring me. But then with Mike, everything just flowed so smoothly. Had you seen the original film at all? I hadn't before. <laughs> I could lie and say, oh, yeah, I watched them all growing up. But uh, no, I, I watched it when I got the script for, for this one. I was so intrigued and I, I called some friends over because I was still a bit of a scaredy cat. And I was like, this might be terrifying. So uh, come and keep me company. And we watched it. <laughs> and it's actually not. But I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was so mad and fun. And it got me really, really excited to, to do this one. How did you go about preparing, I guess, emotionally for the role of Jen? Because it feels like the emotions are dialed all the way up. We see a range that you explore from being calculated and calm, but thoughtful and assertive to instinctual, fierce and frenzied and everything in between. It's really fun to watch. Is there some sort of thing that happens with your adrenaline when you go through all that? Like, it's got to be exhausting. It's got to have some sort of effect on you through the process no? Yeah, I'd say it is exhausting, but you're on such a high throughout and you don't really come down. And, and that's what's really cool about it. And, and that's what uh, really drew me to the script, actually, is, is this evolution that Jen has and how she goes through all these different emotions. But I'd say what really, really helped a lot of the time was the location. So being in the hills or being in the caves really, really helped get in the mood. And then all the other cast as well. Like when we're filming some of the really, really tough scenes in the cave and we had to keep that emotion going and it, we filmed it over a few nights actually. And you had to really stay in the zone to be able to zone. I hate that word, but um, to be able to tap back into it as quickly as possible. And everyone was just so on it. And the whole atmosphere in the room was amazing. And, and it was how it looks on camera. It was dusty and there were the torches and it was dark and it was grimy. And that really, really helps. And, and just having a really great supportive team as well, who's very professional and, and very respectful. Charlotte, this is quite the physical role, not just hiking in the woods, but the fight or flighting and then the crazy trauma and blood. What was the most challenging scene for you while filming? I'd say probably the most challenging, but also maybe my favorite scene was towards the end, not the last scene, but the second to last. I don't know if we're in the spoilers, but um, yeah, towards the end when um, someone appears and, and lots of shit kind of gets crazy. <laughs> and um, yeah. I think it's a really <laughs> challenging scene because there's so many different emotions and twists, but it was such a joy and, and it was coming to the end of the shoot, I think. And so emotions are running high anyway, because I mean, I was quite sad to be, to be finishing. It had been such an intense shoot. And yeah, that scene with Bill was just amazing. And, and Bill had this incredible presence. But it was challenging, but also definitely, yeah, my favorite. I got to say that scene is probably one of our favorite scenes from a horror film in like decades. <laughs> yeah. That was chills, yeah. that scene. And fuck the mom and her fucking eyes, man. 
Oh my yep. God. <laughs> I will never forget that. I will never forget yeah. that. It's like etched yeah. in my mind. How did you do that, by the way? Well, the, I mean, the, the eye thing is, is actually, a, it's a visual effect. Really? Well, I got to give props to Technicolor for that because they, yeah, that was like this weird, like, we wanted to create this odd moment. Like, we wanted, it was like making that moment feel even stranger. You know what I mean? And, yeah. like, and, and adding that little thing. That, and it was just a super subtle, just so, like, so the eyes. And, and it just felt really, yeah. it felt off, but yeah. in like a really good way. And so I was like, I kind of, kind of like that you know because we, we were playing around with it but yeah oh uh, yeah the the choreography in that scene too i mean there's a lot of it right there's charlotte's role emotionally and the physical choreography of what's happening there's very fast and fierce yeah I, and well that's that was her i mean talk about you can talk about janelle janelle um who is my stunt double janelle baudry was just incredible like she was so so badass and she gets thrown around and everyone was blown away and everyone kind of went quiet the first time they were like was that real is she okay like is she hurt and then she just kind of got up and walked away and was like yeah it's fine i just kept doing it so amazing (laughs) so did you guys film were you actually up in the appalachian mountains or were you whereabouts was it i mean we were technically on the foothills so we were in ohio we were in uh the Cincinnati area is like a base camp, Cincinnati and, Mil- and uh, Milford. But then a lot of it we shot like two and a half hours east. And um, when we went, we met with a park ranger, this guy, his name was uh, Pat Quackenbush. Pat, dude, that guy was the best. And he was this park ranger. And, uh, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm really looking for like areas that really feel more like, you know, like the Appalachians, you know? And he goes, you're in the Appalachians right now. And I was like, what? He's like, you are in the, on the foothills of the Appalachians. They spill out of West Virginia right into Ohio. So you are here. And I was like, thank the Lord. Authentic. Yes. I don't think any of the other wrong turn movies are actually shot in Appalachia. I think they're all Canada, if I believe. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, it sounds, you could be right. Yeah. For me, you know, and I remember, um, you know, I remember reading one of the first renditions of the script that actually took place in like Harper's Ferry or something like that, which is West Virginia. And I think, you know, at first you're kind of like, oh my gosh, if we could really shoot in West Virginia, that'd be great. But like West Virginia got rid of their film fund and their, their incentive like in 2018. So like we, that was, we, we wouldn't, we couldn't go there. And then, you know, then you're reading, you know, it's like, well, actually, you know, there's most of the Appalachian trail or like the, the biggest chunk of the trail is actually in Virginia. It's not even in West, there's like four or five miles of trail in West Virginia. That's it. And something and okay so like there's that virginia aspect plus it sets us apart from the other one and yeah yeah it, it was great though because like we were actually able to be there and i mean those locations that is what that area of, of the country is and, and what it is that's what it looks like it's great the boo crew will be right back hello anybody home sally i hear something stop <laughs> The Texas Chainsaw Massacre from New Line Cinema. Rated R. No one under 17 admitted without parent or guardian. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Being in the woods and filming at night, did anything creepy happen? 
We got attacked by bees a couple times. <laughs> That's creepy. <laughs> once, once straight up, like in the middle of the night, and then once uh, oh, when we no. were wrapping up um, tw- in the evening. Yeah, that was crazy. Like a lot of people got stung. It was insane. And like, and like multiple times, it was like these ground bees that came up and just like attacked everybody. And it, like I said, the one at night, it was hard because like we had one, you had like one of these like HMI lights or whatever out in the out in the woods, and they were setting it up. And then suddenly everybody just starts running. And you're just like, what's going on? And they're like, bees, bees. <laughs> and so like gripping elect, I mean, I mean the le- gosh, those guys, like, you know, thankfully they're all right. You know, they were okay. But like, you, you, had, you had to like cordon off a spot and make sure that nobody went over there. So that was, that was a little crazy. Oh my God. Are there any truths to any strange goings on in the Appalachian mountains? Like so many fucked up movies are set up in the backwoods locations. And we kind of have it carved into our brain to picture inbred families living in the woods and the deliverance banjo theme. Why do you think that myth has been perpetuated? Is it through film? Is it through story? Like, what is it? I mean, I think, look, I think there is some, some bit of, of realism to, to all those stories. I, I can't say that they're exactly what those are. I mean, but, you know, if you look at something like Deliverance, like, I mean, a lot of that was shot in that area of the country, you know, with actual people in that area, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And so I think there is, there's some reality to it. There's also some fiction. I think there's some stuff that maybe becomes a little bit far-fetched. Could there be people hiding out in the woods that, you know, it's easy to fall off the grid, man. You know what I mean? If you think about it. And if you look at our movie too, it's like, you know, could there, could there be a community of people living somewhere that like is completely off the grid that we wouldn't know about? Well, you look at like a show, like, um, what was that show? The Outsiders or mm-hmm. something? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those guys that like, they would like spruce up their ATVs with like blades and stuff. And like, you know, they would try to protect their way of life. Like it's kind of like that, you know? And, and, and who's to say that, that that's not something that could actually, you know, exist. I think there is little bits of reality that kind of go with that. Hey Mike, most uh, horror films play out with similar themes or say even the original, that they tend to hide the villains in the shadows, in the rain or in the darkness. Uh, but your film does something very different where you present the danger right in the daylight at times. Talk about this decision uh, to show the horror in daylight. You know, it was, it was hard because, you know, it, it is, it is, I don't want to say it's easier because there's a whole other, other uh, round to, to hiding things in the dark and, and pulling that off in the right way. But it's this weird double thing because like you're in the woods. So you're like secluded and you're like, okay, so here's the thing. You have all this vast woods and all this daylight yet. We still create this feeling of like claustrophobia in the woods that you're like, things are coming in mm. on you. You know what I mean? And I think for me, that was sort of the thing that we wanted to do, you know, both like in our lensing, um, you know, making sure that like, you know, our actors were always like nice and sharp, but then like the world around them kind of fell off. And so you could never really see around you or like when you did see it was only like something went by or like if a character went out of focus, then the world suddenly came into focus and you realize how big it was. And then that made that scary. It was playing around with things like that. It was playing around, you know, again, with, with how we shot it. It was again, with, with our, with, with, the cast and just their, their reactions sell so much of that feeling of fear and, and uh, unknown of what's around them. Our editor, Tom Elkins, who created so much tension, just the way that he put, you know, some of those, those scenes together that are all daylight scenes. You know what I mean? And I think so much of that in post, like you can create these little nuggets of, of fear through all these different images that, you know what I mean? Like it was, he, he, he just, he understands the language of horror. And I think 
you know, he could take something like that that's in the daylight with, you know, the things that, you know, Nick Junks and I did with, with the lensing and, and, and everything and, and just find that melding and, and make, you know, when do you show something? Because we, I think there were like two or three different ways at times some of those scary scenes could have been put together. And then I remember like we would we'd watch it and it would play out in a sequence for several weeks while we're editing. And then Tom was like, you know, this, this, this moment here, it, it's, just, it's just not landing for me. It hasn't been for a while. It's like, what if I just cut this one shot out and then we just do this? I'm like, well, let's try it. And it was like 10 times more jarring and like, oh my God, like that's, that's it. You know what I mean? So again, when you work with great people, like you get really, really awesome results and, and, and this, you know, Charlotte, Tom, Nick, you know, everybody's such a testament to that. Charlotte, what would you say are some of the benchmarks of Mike's directing style and what he was able to bring out? Mike is so, so passionate. Like he's, he's incredible. And even on the first Skype call we had, it was like, it, it just came through the screen and he's so incredibly prepared for everything, which is such a massive help for filming out in the woods and in the middle of nowhere. And he knows exactly what he wants, but that doesn't mean that he's not open to playing around and having fun with it, but he just has an idea of what he wants. He has his vision. He's very clear about that. And you can see when he's trying, he's very eloquent when he's explaining what he wants to you. So you can see his vision with him. And I think we all just had a lot of fun playing around with him. He felt like we were really doing teamwork and we were being creative together. And I think my favorite thing though, was just how contagious his, his passion was and his love for, for what he does and, and his relationship with Nick, um, Nick Junkersfeld, the DOP, it was just so beautiful to watch and so inspiring. And, I think a director really, really sets the tone for a film. And Mike said a great one. Like, and, and we only had good things to say about it and everyone had the best time. And I feel like it was a script that could have gone in a lot of different directions. And Mike really brought a lot of heart to it. So we had all the crazy gore and the gruesome scenes and, and everything that that needed. But then we had a lot of heart as well and, and being able to come up close to the different characters and being able to relate to them too. Charlotte, was there anything in this particular role that you weren't prepared for? I guess I didn't really think about it. I just kind of took it every day, just head on. I don't know how much you can prepare for a shoot like that. You just have to go with it and, and go with the rest of the cast and, and the team and, and Mike and kind of follow his guidance and just be really in the moment and be really present. But I guess I need to be more prepared physically next time because I'm not much of a workout girl. <laughs> I was quite <laughs> you couldn't tell from the performance, man. It was insane. So you were right. saying you were saying you mentioned that the sets and, and everything like that and being in that immersive surrounding really helped you in performance mode. Talk a bit more about playing in that world, how that was set up. Was it in a soundstage? Where, whereabouts was it? Oh, we, we were out in the mountains. They, they created the, the foundation, which was incredible. And, and we really felt like we were going into this whole other world. And we had, you know, base camp, just five minute drive away. But it was like stepping into a parallel universe which is so, so helpful. And then obviously, you know, we were in our underwear and had sacks over our heads and that helped too. But um, the caves were also, they were, uh, was it an old brewery, Mike? Something? Yeah. Yeah. It was this old brewery in downtown Cincinnati. Oh, cool. That space was incredible. And we had torches out and it was quite claustrophobic and it was just dark. And I don't know, it was really cool. We were filming at night as well. Uh, and then the woods. I mean, from the beginning, you've got kind of like sunlight, 
beautiful, going hiking, incredible views. You just feel like really small in this incredible space. And then as it gets dark, things start to get really crazy and pretty eerie. And it was, yeah, it was pretty intense because we filmed a lot of the end at the same time as the beginning because it's in the same kind of space. Oh, interesting. So you had to jump from, you know, from the beginning vibes to kind of the end when you're going in the other direction. And we all know the great Stan Winston produced the original and that really sets a, a benchmark for the kind of gore and effects that we're accustomed to seeing in a project related to Wrong Turn and you do more than deliver on this mic. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about where you wanted to or how you wanted to approach the gore. You know, it was obviously important that, you know, we, you know, we delivered the goods on this. You know, I saw this from the get go as much less of a splattery film, much less of a, you know, chopping up body part, you know, kind of, you know, like just there's some, yes, there are some moments that are in your face, you know, obviously, but um, I really wanted to, to, to take the, the violence and the gore and like just really ground it, make those moments of death kind of resonate, mm-hmm. make them make the characters like really, have to deal with that stuff. So like there's, a, it's a different type of like graphicity, you know what I mean? That, and also it, it's like going back to like, you know, I was talking about with, with like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which has, you know, been a huge part of, you know, just filmmaking and you know, what I show and what I don't. Then when you get to build up to something and then really hit it home, how much more effective that can be. And that was sort of, that was sort of the, the trajectory, you know, um, you know, at one point, and I, I haven't mentioned this so much. I, I, I talked to a couple people about this, but like um, the film actually received an NC-17 rating at one point, the, the very first cut or the, the, the cut that we actually all thought was final, but the MPA was just, they were just not having it. And there was this one scene where a character um, where you see just full out a character getting his head bashed in and we don't cut away. You just are there and you boom, boom, boom you know, and you're just kind of like, for me, that was, a very intentional move, uh, thing because what, what, what we had done is up until that point, a lot of, a lot of the violence was off screen or it was after, after the fact, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd see, you'd see remnants or you'd see like, you know, an aftermath of somebody, you know, killed um, or you, you know, maybe see like a little gore, gory detail, but we hadn't really shown like a full on like thing that you had to watch somebody else do some, uh, something to another human being. And so, the idea was in that moment, and I know, mommy, I know you know what moment it is, with Bill and 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 uh, and, and Adam, it, or with Bill, and it was getting to that point, and they they just they wouldn't allow it, and we needed the R rating, and so we we had to cut away, and and so I feel like it still it still has the power, definitely, um, you, you know, and it's still because, well, and it's so much again, like this is where we talk about like actors with performance and 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 creating tension in a scene, and I feel like what really helps that sequence even without being able to see it all the way through and seeing all the gory bits of face getting smashed off like we had is that performance is that feeling of dread that build that gets to that point yeah. because you're you're start you start to feel that queasiness you start to feel that sickness that like oh god this is going to happen this is going to happen and you're watching Adam's face and you're watching Jen's face and they just start to crush like they just know it's over and you know it's over, and you're just like, oh my god! And so then when it happens, it's just like, oh. Yeah, you literally you describe it perfectly. You would like as a viewer, you yeah. internalize those moments, yeah. 
And yeah. that doesn't happen I feel like it's very so much often. more effective. Yeah. I just, I, well, and you know, I, I can't even say that it's, it's not, it's the, it's not the only way we've all seen great effective things with like, you know, absolute batshit crazy splatterhouse gore that like will never leave our brains. And it was incredible to watch. But like, for me, like, this is just my flavor, you know what I mean? And like, to me, that's, that's what I was trying to achieve with it. And using emotion and using dread and suspense and, 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 and that, and that tension to swell to me is more interesting. And it makes the violence harsher, sure. I guess, is, is, is what you could, is maybe how you get something like that. I don't yeah, know. yeah, no, I totally get it. I don't know yeah, much yeah. about ratings, but is that something like you could put on a DVD or like, would you have to put a special rating because the DVD included it as a bonus scene? Like, how does that you work? Know, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, is we, we had already paid, like, had I known about like the, the, the rating and us being not being able to show that, like, it would have been nice to be able to include that moment in the deleted scene on the disc. Um, because most of the, the special features are unrated anyway, like, and you get that little, that little disclaimer usually. But um, I know that, you know, at one point they were maybe, they were talking like, Hey, do we like, do like a, an unrated cut and like add a couple of other scenes that maybe got cut from the movie back in, in the movie. It's already a long movie. So I don't know like how, how interesting that would be. And if it's worth just doing it for that one scene or it would almost be fun to be like, the NC-17. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> like, like people yeah. are like, what? Although, you know, right. I, like I said, for, for, the version for one they little moment. Let you see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but for, for one little moment, you know, is, is, is that worth it? I don't know. Like, you know, I guess that would be up to, up to everybody else. But. Yeah. Was there ever a thought to not call it Wrong Turn? Or is there a seed that, you know, is prevalent in all the Wrong Turn movies that exists in all of them? So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when I first got the script, it was wrong turn and then it was wrong turn the foundation. And then it was when we were on set, it was just kind of the foundation because like there was at one point, I didn't even know what it was called, to be honest with you. Like, you know, I was just kind of like, well, look, I want to make a good movie and that's what I need to focus on right now. And I feel like, you know, when it all comes down to it, a decision is going to be made. I can give my two cents, but you know, somebody else is going to ultimately make that final decision. And, uh, you know, I, we all actually agreed on wrong turn the foundation, you know, at one point, and that's what it was called. And then, um, I think it was more, I think I want to say it was last minute. Cause it wasn't last minute, but it was like later on, like in the post process, like, cause I, I was doing the, I actually did the titles for the movie too. And we had figured they, they decided that, no, nope, we want to just to be wrong turn, especially for the U S we just want a wrong turn. We want it nice and clean, uh, clean break. This is the new wrong turn. This is what we want. And I was like, okay, so that's what we, that's what we stuck with. And, and ultimately I think that's cool. Like, I think, you know, after six movies and there's going to be a lot of people that don't agree with me here, but after six movies is kind of the, the same thing. I think it's, I think it's okay. I think it's cool. I think it's challenging to try to do something different with, a franchise that most franchises kind of are just more rehashes of the same. And why do that when you can, you know, do something fun like this and, and try something new here at the boo crew. We love props and costuming. Mm -hmm. It's like, we love to collect and we love to look at and admire. And this movie had amazing costuming and amazing props. Did either one of you keep anything from the production? Oh yeah. Oh. Do tell. What, what did you get, Charlotte? I, I got Jen's knife. 
Oh, yeah. That's amazing. Nice, nice. It's, it's in my bedside table. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Nice. You have to get it framed. Yeah, it that's look amazing. Yeah, it's gorgeous as well. A lot of those knives, well, a lot of the, the props were, were made by a, um, uh, by a blacksmith, uh, actually, in Ohio. Like, the big axe that, that Borskull has, the big sickle that, that Venable has, those are all things that were forged by a blacksmith who's actually in the movie as a blacksmith. Oh, when yeah, the first the day. Oh, nice. yeah. <laughs> He brought all this stuff. That's and so cool. Like, nice. And he, well, what was so interesting was he was like, man, I hate when like, they cast a blacksmith in a movie because it doesn't look like he knows what he's doing. Like he's doing, he's doing what he thinks a blacksmith would do based on other movies. Yeah. And he goes, and so we were just like, I can't remember who it was, but Hey, you, do you want to just put the blacksmith that did all this stuff like in the movie? And I was like, Oh yeah, let's do that. That's amazing. So did you keep anything? Not really. Oh, well, here's the thing. So I, I, there's you know, a lot of the props are out there. I, the one thing that I wanted that I didn't get to take was, um, uh, one of Wolf Skull's like, big throwing knives. They're, they almost look like big butcher knives. Yeah. I really want one of those. And I, I'm, I'm hoping I can still get one of those, but I also would really like Venable's mask. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Those masks are bad. You know, like, nice. I mean, it's just, it's just yeah. like completely just like, you know, the, it's just something really cool about yeah, it. Yeah. And, and it's it's very, very metal. <laughs> like it'd be one of those things where like you, you'd want to wear that when the kids come to your house trick or treating <laughs> yeah. and you're just like, yeah. you're sitting on your step right. just like, Right. <laughs> With an axe next to you, like, oh man, be so cool. So, so the bedroom wall though. Right? <laughs> yeah. Waking up to in the middle of the night. Oh my god. <laughs> so Not spooky at all. Can we please get a sequel? Where does it go from here? So what I'll say I mean there's nothing there's, again, there's nothing set in stone anything for certain, but um Alan and I have been throwing around some ideas and I think we have something that's pretty cool. Like if, if we ever were given that opportunity, I would love to keep going. I think that there's a really unique second chapter to this that um, we, again, we'd be very unexpected and you get to see what, but Jen would, <laughs> Jen would be fucking some shit up again. No, don't you worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> That's nice. exactly what we want to see. That's exactly what. Nice. One, one more just random question. It could be a quick answer, I'm sure. But are there any ties to any of the original characters? Maybe Easter eggs, perhaps to you know to Three Finger and the gang. Anything in there that on a second watch maybe you watch for? So there are. Um, there are theories <laughs> um, and it's, it's been really, it's been really fun to watch fan reactions um, after they watch the movie and, you know, trying to explain maybe where things connect, which I, I, I have a lot of fun with. Like, I love when people look into, to look at your work and, and, and they try, they are, they pull or extract things that, that could actually be, be a part of it. Full disclosure, you know, it's like Alan, when, you know, when Alan gave me the script, you know, there was, there was more, it more felt like a clean break from everything, you yeah. know, that being said, is there, is there a connection? Does the, do the, do, we'll say, do the, the, the cave people who have been sentenced to darkness have some sort of a bloodline? Is it, you know what I mean? Like, these are all these fun theories that like, who knows, you know, where, where that could go and, and does that lead somewhere or is there a character that separates uh and informs something else look there's these are things these yeah. are things floating out in the ether here that uh that um i can't say are completely off the table but also could be really fun to like to play with and and, and see where it goes so 
awesome. I know, I know that doesn't give you like the no, solid that's answer, great but, like, though, man. But 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 again, like you know, this this is this is where we get to we. I want to make sure that like if if we do get this 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 chance to 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 continue on uh, on the story, that you know I don't want to leave anything off the table at this point. Like I think I think keeping keeping things out there as like maybe we do take a little bit of this for the next. You know what I mean? And yeah. I don't want to say that that it's that it's gone because I think that there could be some fun to be had. Sure. Well, that's a smart thing and resetting it yes. the way you did. Now the world yeah, is your yeah. oyster, which the franchise is yeah. awesome. So smart. Yes. All right, yeah. you guys. Well, thank you so much for spending time yes. with us. Like I, I yes. honestly, we can't be more sincere about how much we love this film. Thank you. Like, we were literally blown away by it, dude. Like seriously. Yeah. Like <laughs> it was so fast paced and I was just hooked from the second I started watching. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations once again. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 201. Special thanks to our guests, Mike P. Nelson and Charlotte Vega. Follow them at Rockford Road and at Char Vega on Instagram and see Wrong Turn. Have a blast with it. It's on DVD, Blu-ray, On Demand, and Digital Now at time of release. Production tracks for this episode provided by Power Man 5000. Till next time, it is the Boo Crew saying... Sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation. Part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. The Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy or disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com/slash podcasts.